It's such a privilege to be back with you uh, and be with your men especially. I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to meet with them and be with them over the weekend. They're a great bunch of guys. I know I'm not telling you anything you know. I mean, you get to see them all the time, but I have limited exposure and uh, just a great time with them. And during this weekend, we talked about several things. And one of them I'm going to put up on the screen here. And someday someone's going to invent some little music montages that you can do while someone is leaning over a computer. And uh, your church should purchase them should, you, uh, should they come to, into pass. We talked about being hardwired for influence. I believe God expects believers to have an impact in their world. We're going to see that very clearly today in the passage we're looking at. But with the men, we talked about what what does it mean to be spiritually changed? Because before God can work through us, he has to work in us. And we talked about what it means to come into a a life-transforming relationship with Christ and and how to be moved from the things that would drag us away and, and have a cooperative restraint towards the things that are displeasing to God and a complete release toward things that are pleasing to God. We talked about being an influencer within the context of our homes. We talked about the influence of a godly father and a godly husband and strategies to make that more true in our homes. And yesterday before we left, we talked about the art of mentoring and how important it is in our technology that is, that is uh, in our... <laughs> in our world, in our society that is technology rich and relationship poor, how important mentoring relationships are today, perhaps more than ever. And today we want to continue this line to talk about important people with an important task for an important time, and that's us. So I want to end this series with, by asking you, what is the ripple effect of your life in the influence sphere that God has given you. Just as the drop in the water is there sends out ripple effects, in our existence, in the people that we know, in the communities we are, in the offices we inhabit, or in the schools we attend, we send out ripple effects. And we want those things to be conducive to bringing people into an understanding of who God is and into a relationship with Him. I ask you today, what is your ripple effect? And are you an influencer for the things that truly matter to God? And today I want to talk about this mission. Should you decide to accept it? From 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in that, some of you who see this, you older people like me who have maybe been married for a long time, you remember the Mission Impossible shows. Can you remember that? In each show it would begin with the lighting of a match and would put it to a fuse, and then the theme music would come on. Dun, 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 And the teenagers are looking at me now like I'm crazy, but you all know, some of you are smiling, you remember back as far as me, and you would wonder what was going to come up to Mr. Phelps, and he would have this this envelope, it was always a manila envelope, top secret, and he would open it up, and Mr. Phelps, this deep, dark voice would come on this mission, should you decide to accept it, it would be dangerous, it's totally impossible, that's why we named the show what it is, and uh, if, you, if you try to do it, it'll be dangerous, and of course, Mr. Phelps always took the mission because it would have been a really boring 49 minutes had he not do that, 
and, and he took the mission, and then the tape would self-destruct in five minutes, which was the coolest part of every beginning. I saw 6,000 tapes be destroyed, and it was just as cool every time to see that happen. This mission, should you decide to accept it, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is going to have you truly be an influencer in your world. God is counting on us to be this. So let's begin by reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Hallelujah. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen and hallelujah. Today I want to talk to you about some simple strategies in understanding this mission that I hope that you will accept with eagerness. The first thing I want you to see is there's a perspective that I think Paul is trying to get the people to understand. And this is the perspective that people are eternal. They are going to live forever. We see and evaluate people now, the Apostle Paul said, in a radically different way. Now we have an eternal perspective. But to get a clearer view of this, go back up. Just one more verse in in chapter 5 to verse 15. And look at it with me. Right before the verses we read in verse 15. Paul is saying to them, And he, Jesus Christ, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now I'll be the first to admit that coming to know Christ has incredibly good benefits. It's been said that the benefits to knowing Christ are out of this world, and it's true. Literally, they are out of this world. But we don't come to Christ just because of what we're going to get. If you come to Christ for, for you know, what you can get out of the deal, I'm not so sure that's the right attitude. Paul says, here's what we understand in verse 15. He says that he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him, the one who did the work. So salvation, it's not all about you. <laughs> it's not about me. Although it involves me and it involves you. But the purpose of it is so that we can live a life that is not meistic, but is theistic. It's about God. It's about His influence. It's about His agenda, not mine. So when we come with this attitude, it starts to change the way we look at things. If it's not about me and it's about God, then we have to start thinking, well, how does God view the world? How does God view people? And that's why we come to verse 16. And Paul reminds them, we no longer regard uh, each other, one another, from a worldly point of view. As we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we, we do so no longer. We now view people as very different. 
they're individuals who are going to live in an eternity somewhere. And it changes the way we see them. When we go to the store, there's a guy maybe there bagging our groceries. And, you know, if we didn't know any better, he'd just be the guy bagging the groceries. Or the people that walk their dog by our house, they could just be just the neighbors. If we just looked at them in a worldly point of view, they're just people. They're just folks. But we can't look at them that way anymore. Now that we know, now that we understand about Christ, we see that the guy bagging groceries, he's going to spend his life, his eternity somewhere. And we see him as God sees him and we see someone who's precious in the sight of God. We, we just don't think of him like we did any longer. And the people walking their dog in front of our house, there's neighbors who are in our sphere of influence, live nearby us, and they're going to spend eternity somewhere. What am I going to do? What is my responsibility? We're to see them in a very different way. My son, I have a son, his name is Judd, and he's in college now. We have two adult children, and I know that probably astounds you because we look so young. <laughs> but we have two adult children. And, uh, but when he was about four, we noticed him, all of a sudden, it just seems like he was getting closer. We were watching, watching a show together, and Judd would scoot up real close to the TV. We'd have him move back, and he'd scoot up, you know, and be right there. And it dawned on us that maybe he has trouble seeing. <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of slow. We get it eventually. And we said, Judd... Uh, what does that picture say over there on the wall? He said, what picture? What wall? You know? So it's like, oh my goodness, what horrible parents we've been. We discovered our child is half blind. We need to get him some, some glasses. We took him and got him examined and got his glasses. And when Judd put on his glasses for the first time, I mean, he, he didn't know he couldn't see. He's, he's just a little guy, you know. And he gets his glasses and it's like, wow, he could see color. He could see distinction. He could see defined borders. No more blurs. It was like, wow, his whole world opened up to him with the miracle of glasses. And now his whole world changed. He started seeing things very, very differently. You know, when we come to know Christ, in essence, it curses us as we view people because we see them now through God's eyes. Very different. Precious souls bound for eternity somewhere. And we know the answer. We know the direction. We know the way, the truth, and the life. And we can share it with them if we but put on God's glasses and see them as they are. They're not just individuals. They're people with a destiny. When you think of the difference between believers and non-believers, it's no wonder we can't think of them the same way. The guy bagging groceries may not know Christ. He may be headed for a Christless eternity, dead in his sins, without hope, alienated from God. And the Bible calls unbelievers at enmity with God. There's even an adversarial situation there. In darkness, blind and in bondage and children of wrath and lost. How can we walk back and forth in through people's lives and in and around people's lives and not care if they're like this? We should seek to try to bring them to God. And that's the whole point of the passage here. Paul says we can't look at them the same any longer. We see them differently. The result of this new perspective it's a concern-based view now of the people in our sphere of influence. Now we see them 
as God sees them. And that's the point. And let me tell you, you will not, neither will I, none of us will be an influencer for God unless we can begin first to see people as God sees them. Not as a bother, not as an interruption to our agenda, not as a, not as a walk into the day that just throws us off and puts us behind. No, we see people as precious in the sight of God. There's a song that uh, I knew was when I was growing up, and it was called Seeing the World Through His Eyes. And it said this, Let me see this world as though I were looking through your eyes. A world of men who don't want you, Lord, but a world for which you died. Let me kneel with you in the garden, blur my eyes with tears of agony. For if once I could see this world the way you see, I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. Do we see the world through God's eyes? Paul is trying to get them to have a different perspective seeing people as eternal. I hope that you can do that. Let's look at a second thing. A second thing in verses 17 and 18 is a purpose that God wants us to achieve. And this purpose is simply this. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Let's read it again in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's remade. He's metamorphosed. The old has gone and the new has come. What a great verse. This is a high, holy verse of spiritual growth and spiritual change. It is a work done by God in the heart of man. Man does not self-improve. Man does not go to a seminar and emerge on the other side new. He does it. That is only done by the work of God in the heart of an individual through the death, resurrection of Christ and the energizing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes us new. That's what makes us different. The old is gone, the new is come. But then... Beyond that, verse 18, all this is from God. And from God descends all great things. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This whole idea of reconciliation is a big thing in Scripture. It comes to it again and again in the New Testament. And you can't have reconciliation unless you have two enemies. Reconciled means a change of relationship. From enmity, people who are at each other, to peacefulness when there's peace between uh, two parties that were formerly at odds. And when we think of what Christ did, we, in our, in our sin, our dead and our trespasses and sins, and we're at enmity with God, and here's, here's God over here is holy and righteous, and we have no hope to bridge the gap between us. We are without resources until Jesus comes, the mediator between God and man, and he dies for us. And through his death, we have access to the Father, and we can receive eternal life, and we can be brought together in him and reconciled. Now, do some counseling in, back in Abingdon, and, uh, and we have some situations there that sometimes are pretty volatile. And there's only one time when I thought I was going to get in a fight during a counseling session. It wasn't that long ago. This couple came in, and I knew, I knew it was on when they came in. They walked in. They were apart coming down the hallway. They walked in. I have a couch in my office, and, and the wife sat on one side. And there was about three feet of space, and then the husband sat... They couldn't get any further in the corner unless they would have burrowed into the upholstery. They were as far away as they can get. Now, those of you who study people, that's called nonverbal communication. And you know there's a situation here. You know, they're not holding hands. 
They're not shooting loving looks at one another. They're flying daggers back and forth in my office. And I'm just trying to get to general information from them. I mean, I don't, I don't know them very well. They're not a part of our church. I've agreed to talk to them. And man, they're, they're ready to throw down right in my office. And I was trying to get, you know, news, weather, and sports. You know, where you live and, you know, where you work and just to get an idea. And they started arguing back and forth about their general information. I mean, we had a problem here. And, 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 then, and then the wife stood up. And she was ready to go. And the husband stood up. And I, this is new for me. You know, I'm not normally into the refereeing situation. And so I stood up. And I thought, where we're going to go at it here? And I pretty, felt pretty well I could handle the husband. I wasn't sure about the wife. And she was angry. And women, they don't fight fair. You know that? Guys at least have a little bit of a code. But women, wow. I just didn't know if I could handle this. So I stepped in between them and I said, look, we, we, before we can do anything, you guys got to stop fighting at least. So sit down, calmer heads prevailed, and we took deep breaths and got on with this very tense session. But there was enmity between these two people. And you know what they needed? Reconciliation. They were at war. Thankfully, over a period of time, I've seen them from time to time, they're still together as a husband and wife, as far as I know, at least the last time I saw them. And they were reconciled to one another and behaving much more sanely. But with God, we have a problem if we don't know Him. And that's why it talks about it in Romans and in other places. I'm going to have you read this with me, all together in English. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Isn't this a wonderful passage? Look at where we are there at the beginning. We're enemies. We're enemies of God, but now we are reconciled to Him. How? Through the death of His Son. And then much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And through, through Jesus Christ at the end there that we have received this reconciliation. I hope you're reconciled. I do. Colossians speaks of it too. Read this aloud with me, if you will, as well. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy, and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Again, in this passage, you see our situation. Enemies alienated from God because of our wicked works. And now we have been reconciled because of what Christ did on the cross. I'll be honest with you. I want everybody to know what this feels like. I want everybody to be reconciled. It tells us in, in Peter that, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The heart of God is for reconciliation, but there's only one way to do that, and that is through Christ. And He is committed to us, to us, 
this message of reconciliation. It's ours to give out to the world. It's ours to put in the influence. It's our mission to accept and see to it that it is done. This reconciliation is a wonderful, wonderful thing. A third thing, though, I want you to see is this. Not only is there a perspective to understand and a purpose to achieve, but there's a point that we are to make. There is a thing that we are to say. There is a concept that we are to communicate, and that is this, that Christ has died for the sins of mankind. We understand that in Romans 5.8. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we see this in verse uh, 18. Look at verse, uh, excuse me, verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Is that good news or what? That God is not counting my sins against me? If you were to list mine and put them single-spaced in, a, in an eight-point font, we could still roll them out into the hallway and down the next hallway, all of Greg Alderman's sins. And guess who would have to pay for them in front of a holy God? Me. Me. I deserve to pay them. I committed them. But now my sins are not counted against me. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ, and this is the point that we are to make, Jesus Christ came and paid your penalty for sin so that you don't have to pay it. He stood in your stead. He took your penalty. He paid your price. He took your death upon himself. How do we know that and how was it done? One of the most beautiful verses in Scripture, verse 21, look at it. God made him who had no sin to be sin in and of itself for us so that we might know the righteousness of God. Think about that. Pure, without blemish, the Lamb of God, slain, slaughtered, bloodied, laid bare. Why? Because He became the essence of sin. Our sin. My sin. So that God could wreak punishment on Him. And by doing that, he, he paid the penalty for us. Folks, that's good news because people are walking around in this society under a great weight of sinfulness. They have burdens they're bearing. And if someone could just come along and help them know how to relieve that burden, if someone could come and point them to the cross that takes the burden away and gives them life and breath, then they would be doing the ministry of reconciliation. They would be getting the point to them. So there is a point to make that Christ died for our sins. Lastly, we see this. With, along with this point to make, there is a position to fill. There is an office that you need to understand that you are assuming, and that is the office of an ambassador. And an ambassador is not just a messenger. It's much more than that, but a real-time representative of the Sovereign Lord. What a great privilege it would be to be asked by the President of the United States to be an ambassador of this country to another place in the world. That you would be the United States representative on the ground in real time in another place. But in a very real and much more honorable way, we are being asked to be the ambassador for the God of the universe here in this world to be His representative here in real time with a point to make, with a passion and a purpose 
to communicate to a lost and dying world, people who are going to spend eternity somewhere, that they can know Christ and have their sins forgiven. That is us, and that is now, and ambassadors are you. It's not a question of whether or not you accept this title of being an ambassador. That's not the point of the message. You already are one. The only question is, is whether you're a good one or not, whether you're active as an ambassador or whether you're a closet ambassador. Don't ask me. Don't tell. I won't. No pressure. I won't tell you what country I'm from. God wants you to know what country you're from. You're from a place that is beyond imagination. And you live among people who are going to spend eternity somewhere. Be the ambassador in your day, in your culture, in your world. Because that is what God is counting on us to do. And I love this part of the verse. And this is one of the most astounding places here, folks. Look in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Look at the next phrase. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What are you, what are you saying? I'm saying this. You, we're, we're the plan. You think, you think God could come up with something better than that? I would think. One day I'm going to ask him. Lord, you know this whole thing about getting your message out to people and bringing people to God? You know, couldn't you have like done some kind of force field thing to kind of bring people or uh, zap them, you know? The, you know, you could control the lightning and that would have been a great thing because that always gets people's attention. And, you know, just kind of zap them and bring them in, you know? God says, no, here's my plan. Here is my only plan that my people be my representatives on earth and through the power of the Holy Spirit represent me there. That's it. What about plan B? There is no plan B. What about a backup? There is no backup. You and I are it. This mission, should you decide to accept it, is an important one to God. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation and has appointed all of us as ambassadors in his place here. John Wesley understood it. Here's what he said in regard to this thought. Bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance and with all your power to build them up in that holiness without which they cannot see the Lord. John Wesley is saying, yes, this is why I'm here. To bring people from where they are. And again, it's not a work that we do. It's a work that Christ does. But somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to be the mediator. Somebody's got to be in there to try to bring them to God. And that's us. And that's being an ambassador. We see a perspective to understand. A purpose to achieve. A point to make. And a position to fill. This is the mission that's not impossible. It is very possible. And as W. Paul Jones has simply put, we bear the responsibility of awakening others. I travel when I speak on this with a card. I'm going to show it to you. You see it? Does this look like it would come from a football coach? It does. 
This was sent to me from a football coach. And it says this. It was God's plan all along to bring you here to serve him by using your gifts to minister to others for such a time as this. He has given you the grace to reflect the love and character of Christ, to be a light in a darkened world for such a time as this. You have a unique place of service in God's kingdom, touching lives as only you can do for such a time as this. And in the inside, it has that verse from Esther, Esther 4.14, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. And it's signed down here, former WVU football player who now lives in Abingdon. I believe God brought you into my life Thank you for bringing me to God. Now, I don't say this to say, ooh, look at Greg Alderman. Wow, he's so wonderful. I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm saying that this is why we're here. This is why we're here. As if God were making his appeal through us. I get choky when I read this. Thank you for bringing me to God. Is there any greater privilege that a human being can have than to bring another person to God? To be an ambassador, to be able to communicate the ministry of reconciliation so that Randy understands that he doesn't have to pay for his sin, but Christ will do it for him. This mission, should you decide to accept it, always leads to an adventure. I hope that you will be a great, effective, fruitful, dynamic, vital, authentic ambassador for Christ. Because this is our mission. And if we want our ripple effect to have a great influence for God, it must begin by doing and being this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these dear people, my brothers and sisters here at Fellowship Bible Church. I thank you for how you have raised up this church in really a short time compared to many churches. How you have prospered them, how you have gifted this body, how you have used them in their sphere of influence here. I pray your blessing on them and I pray that you would infuse them with a holy passion so that they could know and experience the fullness of impact and influence in their society in being used of you as ambassadors here. Lord, shake us. Help us to understand we can't sit this one out. This is your marching orders. We are representing you. Help us to take this and make it personal as we seek to be the kind of people that we'll hear one day, well done, well done. And we pray this in your name, amen.